Hi, everyone, and welcome to HGTV Obsessed, the weekly podcast about all things HGTV. I'm Marianne Canada, executive producer and HGTV.com lifestyle expert. And when I'm not binge watching my favorite network, you can find me making crafty videos for HGTV Handmade, gardening, cooking, or these days weeding. I mean, it's just it's just so much weeding, which is appropriate because today on the podcast, we are finally giving the G in HGTV some much needed love and attention. That's right. It's our spring gardening episode. Maybe you're like me and already elbow deep in the dirt, or perhaps you're a wannabe gardener who doesn't know where to start. We've got experts all throughout this episode to help guide you to your best garden life. Marianne, have you always been like this? Who weeds for fun? Who who hurt you in life? Okay. I never said it was fun, just for the record. I never said weeding was fun. It is very satisfying though to see, you know, a bed full of weeds and then it's just like beautiful, clean, fresh dirt. And to my defense, you know, people pay actual money to like flip tires over in CrossFit. So like I feel like fun, fun is very relative. <laughs> I mean, but don't you just get overwhelmed with the amount of work that it takes to get rid of weeds? Or is that just me? I think you just have to break it down into like manageable areas and and just zone out. And you know what? There's something I've learned. If you ever want alone time to just like listen to a podcast or something, go and weed your garden because um, no one will come within like 50 feet of you. Really sage advice. I like that. I'm going to go weeding, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, I come from a long line of gardeners and it really made me resist it. That was like my version of teenage rebellion was like not caring about gardening. But I got into like what I call my gateway gardening drug, which was houseplants. And then a couple of years ago, we bought my grandmother's house and she was this like amazing master gardener. So it's really like I just, a switch was flipped and I wanted to bring her property like back to its glory. And, you know, here I am, like I willingly spend my weekends pruning roses and weeding and planting my garden. Like no one ever told me that being an adult would be so thrilling. Anyway, it goes without saying that I am a little bit excited about today's episode. First up, we have designer and lifestyle expert, Kelly Edwards. You may remember her from HGTV's Design on a Dime. And now Kelly is part of GardenCast, which is Burpee's first ever gardening trend forecast. We're talking to her all about the gardening trends to look for in 2021 and what to start planting right now for your zone. Then we're talking to one of my favorite humans, Kelly Smith Trimble, all about vegetable gardening planning and what she's excited to put in the ground this year. And then we're going to wrap up with a very special HGTV to the rescue with the plant daddies to talk about how to prep your indoor plants for spring. I mean, I'm ready. Let's go get our hands dirty, y'all. Kelly, welcome to HGTV Obsessed. We're so happy to have you here. I am so excited. This is kind of like my original stomping grounds. Well, that's what's so funny. So you're you're here to talk about some gardening trends, and I cannot wait to get into that. But I would really be remiss if I did not acknowledge, you know, you are no stranger to HGTV. You were part of Design on a Dime, which is now all 
30 something seasons are on Discovery Plus. And this is one of the number one shows that our hardcore HGTV fans bring up. I mean, people just never get sick of budget friendly options. I want to know, have you gone back and watched any episodes from the archives? You know, I have, if only to laugh about my outfits um, and just, you know, just be like, why would I ever think of wearing pigtails in my hair while, you know, using a chop saw, like just so random. But I have, I like to go back once in a while and take a look at them. I mean, it's funny because, you know, when Design on a Dime started all those years ago, this was like before Pinterest. This was before, really, honestly, this was like the era of MySpace when people weren't, you know, there wasn't bloggers and there weren't all these people that were doing all this. And so honestly, it was a time where we had to come up with projects on our own and try and figure it out and like walk the halls of Home Depot in hopes that, you know, we could kind of come up with something. And we really did do our own work at the time, you know, because that was there was no little people on the sidelines doing it for us. So it's kind of fun now to go back and see. But sometimes I look at the projects I made and I'm just like, oh, why did I do Or my outfits or my, you know, whatever. But, you know, it was great to be a part of it. I mean, that's kind of how everything started. So it was awesome. Yeah, there's nothing like um, having that time capsule out for the world to see of all of your, you know, fashion transgressions. But at the time, (laughs) it was, you know, you had your finger on the pulse. What is your number one tip for designing on a budget? Well, a few things. Like I always say, your space only looks as good as your lighting. So if you don't, if you don't really light your space properly, so I would say designing on a budget really means making your space looks look great. Like you could even have an ugly sofa, but if your lighting looks great, your space could look great. So I always tell your people invest in their lighting. But the other thing is, I'm a really classical designed type person. Like meaning, like I like really classic pieces that you can have for ten years. So I always say to everyone who's looking to design on a budget, it's like invest your money in your classic pieces, like your sofas and things like that. And then everything else is just gravy, right? So, you know, you could just add the expensive lamp or, you know, or the inexpensive lamp with the expensive sofa and it'll work. So those are the two things I always say. Always go with lighting and always go with classic and you can never go wrong. Yeah. And then you have time. You have time to layer in and collect. I think people have this misconception that you need to have your room looking magazine ready all at once. And it takes time. It does. I think the best rooms are kind of, like you said, are layered. You know, it takes time to invest in those pieces that look good on top of the other pieces and things like that. But, you know, I'm kind of guilty of that, though. I'm kind of guilty of the I want everything done right now and I want it to look perfect. It's, you know, it's a work in progress. Everybody's space is a work in progress. Everyone, sometimes it's nice to hear even, you know, that a designer and lifestyle expert feels the same as the rest of us. Speaking of you being a designer and lifestyle expert, you know, what does a day in the life look like for you? I think people are always curious um, when they're on the outside looking in, you know, what is it like to to have this be the way you make a living? I wouldn't have it any other way, honestly. And every day is different. I do renovations in my everyday life. In my real life, I actually really do home renovations. I also build shipping container houses shipping container bars, shipping container. I built a shipping container gym for an NFL player. You know, I do the news. I do talk shows. I have written a book. So every day is different. You know, just this week alone, it's 
meetings with clients to pick it. Like yesterday, I spent like three hours picking out kitchen faucets and that, you know what I mean? And every day is so different that I wouldn't have it any other way. I would just be bored if every day was the same, pretty much. Oh, definitely. I am the exact same. And lately, I'm sure it's also been looking pretty green um, because you were recently on a panel with Burpee's Garden Cast and what you're doing is forecasting this year's gardening trends. I am an avid gardener. Um, so I'm very excited to talk about this. What exactly does the process look like for predicting what's next in gardening? You know, it's interesting because I feel like the pandemic brought this world of everybody being home. So it was kind of more of an easy for me anyway, when I signed on with Burpee um, to work with them on the garden cast is a designer, which is interesting because you wouldn't normally think like, I'm, I don't, I'm not a landscape designer. I'm an interior designer and what that looks like inside your house. And with COVID, it was, everybody was stuck inside. And so you had to bring the outside into your home to feel better. Even for me, I mean, I live six blocks from the beach. I live in Santa Monica and I, I don't even have a yard. Honestly, I garden at a friend's house, but um, she has a big yard and we kind of have a shared space there and we garden there. But I have all these pots on my balcony. And it was interesting because I wanted to bring all that inside my house. So I started designing with the plants in my house, like putting them in cute pots on my countertop. And you know, my husband and I are, he's a great cook. My husband's a great cook. I'm trying to be a great cook, but we were also avid travelers. So I found that during COVID, we started cooking more and everybody started cooking more, you know, like that's what everybody did. And so it was kind of predictable. I felt like and for me of what gardening looks like. It's that I'm not going to a restaurant five days a week like I used to, you know, it's I'm making my own food and I need to be a little bit more creative than I used to be. So it was more predictable for me. And I think that's what everybody's kind of doing now. Yeah, you touched on this a little bit. I mean, I read that an estimated 18 million new gardeners entered into the gardening space this past year. Do you think that that surge was a result of everyone quarantining, like you said, wanting to be self-sufficient? Or was it just, you know, boredom and wanting to do something new? You know, I think at the beginning of, of the pandemic, I think everybody was a little bit struggling with what does this look like and what does this mean, right? Because everybody's like, oh my gosh, we're stuck inside. I have to tell you, I've done like 10 interviews. I kind of loved it. What's weird is that I thought I was an extrovert. I'm kind of an introvert. I kind of figured this out about myself. Seriously, during COVID, I learned how to play the guitar terribly, but I but I did. Um, I put together 10 puzzles and I realized I loved them. You know, I started gardening. I started cooking. I started gardening more, actually. I started cooking more and I noticed that so did my friends. You know, they have more gardens and they started doing more of this thing too. But also uh, being out here in California, we work out a lot. Right. And we can't do that at gyms anymore. So now we're using our spaces that we live in to work out. And so people started creating these like Zen sanctuaries in their backyards for yoga or meditation. Just this weekend, I went to a social distancing yoga class in someone's backyard that he had redone specifically for that, you know, adding in the grasses and all that stuff. So I felt like it was kind of full circle with creating these amazing outdoor spaces with the pandemic. But I feel like it also eased everybody's mind of a little bit of pressure to have to be somewhere or, you know, they they found comfort in their own space, which is super important. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. I really what I really learned is that I love being home. I love my house. There were a lot of things about this past year that were really hard. But what I really learned is that I am perfectly happy being at home, which I consider myself really, really fortunate. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about the the actual predictions this year that the GardenCast released. 
Um, I want to know about a few that I know you had a hand in as a designer. And I do think it's so interesting to... It's, it's so forward thinking for Burpee to have an interior designer come in and lend their expertise because we're really seeing that blend of indoors and out. So first, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the quiet garden trend. You know, my first thought immediately was lavender, which I love to grow lavender. But what are some other calming plants that promote that sense of peace? I love things that are light, things that are airy right? Things that are, like you said, just very calm. I'm a hydrangeas person. I love hydrangeas. When I walk into like, it almost feels like English garden. You know what I mean? I have a friend who has hydrangeas all over her backyard and it's just fantastic. So you can say lavender, you can say hydrangeas are beautiful. Blue petunias are beautiful. Grasses to me, because the way they flow in the wind and the texture in your yard, a Carex is great in terms of grasses, because they're, it's a, a really hardy plant. And even if you don't live in warm weather like I do, in cold weather, to have grasses you know, during the summer are beautiful. But in the winter, it kind of gives a little bit of texture and depth to your yard You know, when all the snow falls on them and things like that. So I think when creating kind of that Zen garden, whether you just want to you know, walk or it's important to quiet your mind. I am a yoga person. I, I, I try to meditate. I'm a terrible meditator. I gotta, I gotta be honest. My mind goes too many directions. But if I'm sitting in a field of, you know, beautiful grasses or hydrangeas or just beautiful colors or, or honestly flowers that smell fantastic. My girlfriend puts sweet peas on her dining table. I don't know if you've ever smelled sweet peas. They're lovely and beautiful, but they smell amazing. I feel like when things smell great and just look great and just look more light, more airy, that's when you get kind of that quiet garden. Yes. All those old fashioned flowers like sweet peas um, that do, they smell so incredible. They just, they just make, they make you smile, which, um, which really brings me to another trend from GardenCast, the garden of joy. I loved this one. Yeah. Um, so studies have shown that flowers can produce a, a real smile, you know, that eye crinkling, genuine smile, um, not to be confused with, you know, our, our more like polite social smile. So what flowers do you think are best for that effect, for, for bringing that genuine joy out of people? With joy, I don't know if you've ever really looked at pansies or violas. I mean, like those flowers look like they have faces. Like truthfully, they look like they have faces, like cute little eyes and a cute little mouth. And when I see those, those make me happy. So when this garden cast came about, it was like that was a really obvious choice for a garden of joy where little flowers that look like they're smiling back at you. Right. And I know we just talked about scents and violas just smell absolutely fantastic. So two definite flowers that I think really provoke that feeling of happiness and just kind of, you know, just spark overall joy, honestly. Pansies always remind me of Alice in Wonderland, that scene yeah. with the flowers that all have faces. Those are very happy flowers. I think my personal happy flower, and it's another old fashioned flower that has an amazing scent is peonies. Those yeah. are um, very special to me. I bought my grandmother's house when she passed away. And so I have her 40 year old peony um, plants outside and they're all starting <gasps> to come up. It's my favorite time of year. Oh, I think it's everybody's favorite time. Peony season. It's, it literally should have its own holiday. We like, I wait for peony season. <laughs> I agree. I mean, we should just put that on the calendar. One more thing I want to talk about, and you talked some about, you know, how you're cooking more that you're home, the trend of the world herb garden. 
you know, what are some herbs we should be planting to, to really level up and expand our herb selection beyond the basics? Because I have a huge herb garden. I love to cook with fresh herbs. So I'm always looking for what I should add to the mix. You know, there's always the basics. You know, people will plant the thyme and they plant the basil and they plant the cilantro, right? I actually, my new favorites, which I have to be honest, I'm completely obsessed with. I'm on a dill kick like nobody's business. For some reason, I just absolutely love dill. But fennel, I'm huge into fennel right now. I, I you know, Right now, I feel like I, I wanted to step outside the box cooking at home for a year. I can't just do basil. I can't just do cilantro anymore. I had to step out of the box. So it was right now for me, it's lemongrass because we love Thai food in our house. We love dill. I'm really obsessed with dill. I love fennel and lavender. Um, I don't know if you've ever made a shrub in the, in the summertime. If you've had the shrub, it's like kind of like a mocktail. Lavender and blueberry shrubs for the summertime are absolutely amazing. So I recently got a lavender plant. So I've been cooking some with that too. So I feel like it's fun to step outside the box, especially if you're a traveler like my husband and I, because we tra- we used to travel so much. I mean, we would travel internationally at least three or four times a year and to not be able to go, but now have all these herbs right here and be able to cook with them and kind of do those Thai dishes or those Vietnamese dishes or those African dishes or whatever it is. I mean, that's kind of where our joy comes in right now is cooking with those unexpected herbs that I would not have cooked with a year ago. Yes. Like the bringing in all of those flavors that you're missing out by not traveling. That's such a unique way of thinking of it. I know that mint has a bad rep for taking over the garden, but that is what I'm obsessed with right now. I just am putting fresh mint in like adding it to salad greens or marinades. It's just, it's so fresh. And, um, and I love it, even though I keep having to rip it out of my garden. Have you ever tried pineapple mint? Yes. So we have pineapple mint and we also planted chocolate mint and lemon balm, which is in the mint family. So I really, I have like a mint problem, but I can't help it. They're all so delicious. Do you have a favorite recipe? Like, do you have one favorite thing you like to make with it? I really love, I really do love to put mint and mix it, well, and a lot of herbs and mix it in with salad greens. Mm -hmm. It just, it, it adds such a different flavor to, you know, your basic grocery store spring mix. So that's one of my favorites. Also, you know, I'm from the South. Uh, I love a classic mint iced tea. I mean, you just can't beat it. But I also like I've made pineapple, I've put pineapple mint and kind of made a twist on a margarita and the pineapple and the mint and you can muddle some jalapeno in there. And it's just so fresh. So delicious. Yeah, I love that too. So all trends aside, I know everyone is dying to start planting and welcoming spring. And in California, you've got the fortunate climate to be able to grow pretty much year round. But what should we be planting right now in late April? You know, I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. So we're zone 7B. So, you know, what should we be looking to put in our gardens right now? So what I found interesting, and I just learned this honestly when I was working with Burpee, is that, well, clearly I knew that there was different zones. Obviously, what you're planting there in Knoxville, what I'm planting here in Santa Monica are really, you know, two different things because our climates are different. But what they have, which is super cool on their website, is they have a growing calendar. So if you did go to burpee.com, you could click on their growing calendar. Because you're in 7B, you said, right? I'm in 10. I'm in 10B. So it's quite different. And when I went on it to figure out one, they they kind of teach you when to grow outside, but also when to transplant. So when to start inside, 
to transfer outside. So it's really quite interesting. So depending on wherever you live in the United States, you could simply click on their website. You can go to the growing calendar and just click on, put it, what you do is you put in your zip code. When you get your zip code, it'll put, pull up kind of a table of contents so to speak. And it'll show you what to plant and when, when to start it inside, when to transfer it outside. So it's kind of, it kind of gives you kind of that roadmap and teaches you how to grow honestly, and when the right time is to grow and how to get the most out of your experience with growing. Yeah. That's Herbs, so, flowers, whatever it is. That's so, um, so great, especially for beginning gardeners. And I also want to note, um, if you don't know what we're talking about. If you don't know what zone you're in, you can also uh, go to hgtv.com slash plant zone and you can find your zone out that way as well. All right, Kelly, I feel like I could talk to you all day about gardening and design and DIY, but before we let you go, we're going to have you give us your thoughts on a current trend with one of our favorite segments, Defend the Trend. So hydroponic indoor gardens have become wildly popular over the past year, whether it's for people who have little to no outdoor space, like you mentioned, or just want a way to have fresh produce within reach. You know, literally, you could have it on your desk next to you year round. So do you think this trend is here to stay or should we stick to growing things outside? Tough call. <laughs> it's a tough... Well, okay. I will have to say this. Right before the pandemic Kit, uh, I was at a trade show, KBiz, the kitchen and bath show in Las Vegas. And I was there uh, working and I was interviewing a lot of the brands that were there. And one of the brands that was there was a hydroponic company that created this refrigerator that you could take your seedlings and start inside and you could grow inside, or then you could essentially transfer outside. And I will say this, I love the concept. I think it's absolutely fantastic. If you have the money for the refrigerator, that's great. But I'm classic. And I'm old school and I will always be classic and old school in my design and who I am. I love getting my hands dirty and being outside. You know what I mean? I live in California because I love to be outside 24 hours a day, seven days a week because it's beautiful. So I'm not going to negate the trend. I love the trend. And I think science is fantastic because honestly, it's like a, a science experiment that's just is healthy, essentially. But I'm an old school gal. I got to go with the standard, get your hands dirty, get in the garden and just plant away. I am 100% with you. I think they are so interesting. And I think, you know, it's, it's obviously such incredible technology. And it's so great for people who don't have access to the outdoors. But I'm with you. I'm a classic. I don't want this big machine in my kitchen with all this all these things growing out of it, even though I do think it's it's such an amazing, you know, advancement in technology. I'm with you. Nothing is ever going to to replace physically getting out in the dirt. Well, Kelly, I just I want to thank you again so much for joining us today. Can you tell everyone where we can find you on social media and where we can read more about Gardencast trends for the year? Absolutely. You can see me on Kelly Edwards Inc. That's my Instagram. I you know, I post actually I post planting tips 
sometimes and tricks and things like that. Um, but mostly it's design and, and all that and, and ways that you can design your space with plants and things like that. Um, so you can find me there, Kelly Edwards Inc. on Instagram, or of course you can go to burpee.com slash garden cast and you can see all the five trends there and you can get a feel for all their flowers. And, and of course, you know, you can also check out the growing calendar if you need some help on uh, planting your own garden. So something for everybody, actually. Yes. And if you want to um, enjoy a throwback Thursday, you can go check out uh, Design on a Dime on Discovery Plus. There's literally, I think, more than 30 seasons. You can really... Yeah, you'll see all my outfits. You'll see all the bad... You'll see the pigtails with the <laughs> with the job saw and all those projects. Oh, oh, good gravy. Hey, but, there's, yeah. some, there's still some real winners in there. Well, Kelly... There's I some hope- classics. <laughs> I hope you can come back and uh, talk to us again sometime. This was so great. I'd love to. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, pod team, I want to talk about hydroponic gardens. Do you guys, do any of you guys do this? I aspire to do it. I don't even, I don't even know what it is. I, mean, I don't want to be like... Okay, think about it. Think about the Latin hydro, water. Yeah, okay, it's a water. Ponic. Mm-hmm. What is ponic, Madeline? <laughs> Hydroponic is probably plants, right? Water plant. Hold on. Let's look up this root word. You know, my seventh grade Latin is really failing me. I don't know. I can't. I think it's really cool. And I have friends, Kelly Smith Trumbull being one of them, who have like these incredible hydroponic setups so that they can grow like year round. They've got grow lights and they don't require soil, but. I just, I, I don't know. Madeline has discovered the root word of ponic. Yes. So hydro, obviously water. And then it seems like the ponics part of the word comes from the Greek root word ponine or ponine, which is to labor or toil. So water work is what this means. You heard it here last, folks. <laughs> I don't know if that's right. You know, come at us, Latin scholars. Like, I mean, these are, these are beautiful. I'm looking at them right now in real time. Brad's going to totally buy a hydroponic garden. I'm just going to I'm just going to stick to the dirt. I'm going to stick to the dirt. No weeding required. It always comes back to weeds with you. <laughs> I think one, you know, overall questions that I get a lot are when to plant something and when to harvest something. You know, people just don't know Um, when to start and when to harvest. A lot of those answers really just depends on where you live. And I really try to use those questions as an opportunity to get people to think more about paying attention to their climate and their weather and also paying attention to their plants more than paying attention to a date on the calendar. Well, someone who has a lot of experience in the dirt is HGTV's very own Kelly Smith Trimble. Kelly is a senior editorial director and host of the digital series, Dig It. We had her on the pod to talk all about veggie gardening and the most asked questions she gets as a master gardener. One thing I think about is garlic. I know you're growing garlic for the first time this year. And that was a question that we got a lot for people who are growing garlic is when to harvest it. And really in that, with that plant, it kind of tells you when it's ready to be harvested. So the garlic, you know, grows um, up until, you know, early to midsummer, and it'll be ready when it starts to turn brown on the top, it starts to kind of flop over. And so that that's the kind of the plant signaling to you, you know, that it's ready. So you really just have to pay attention to your plants a lot of times to know when to harvest things. 
Some more specific questions that we get a lot of people are always kind of flummoxed, I guess, by blossom end rot on their tomatoes. That if you've ever experienced that, that is where you get kind of this like brown um, sunken bruise almost like on the um, end of your tomato. And it's very common. It happens to everybody. But people are always wondering what they can do about that. And that one is a little bit hard because it is about weather conditions. It's about water. So a lot of times I just tell people to go ahead and harvest the tomatoes they have, cut off that end. And then the best thing that they can do is to make sure that their tomato plants are just getting regular water. They're not getting large fluctuations in the water. The other thing that we get a lot of questions about is um, cilantro. People are trying to grow cilantro in the summer. And it seems like cilantro would be a summer plant because we're so used to it being, you know, in tomatoes or with tomatoes and peppers and salsa. But it's actually a cool season plant. So cilantro likes to grow best in cooler weather, spring and fall, and it will bolt, it will go to flower if it's too hot. So people are always, you know, saying they can't grow cilantro, but I think it's because they're trying to grow it in the wrong season. Yeah, I think everybody thinks cilantro, salsa, guacamole, Mexico, Mexico is hot, cilantro must be a summer herb. So yeah, I do think that's something that surprises people. Well, and I was texting you yesterday because I went out, um, I, I went and bought some new herbs. And I went out to my herb garden, which I'm going to weed and get ready for the spring this weekend. And my cilantro and my parsley came back. Yes. Which I was shocked. Yeah. So cilantro and parsley are both biennials. So a lot of people know about annuals and perennials and the difference between them. But there's one other type of, you know, plant um, called a biennial and they grow, you know, the first year and then they come back the second year and that's when they actually go to seed and they they go to flower. Um, So their life cycle is two years long. Um, And um, cilantro is one of those parsley. A lot of the crops that we actually grow for the root, like carrots um, and beets, Those are, I think, beets. I know carrots are biennials. So if you left that in the ground, it would come back. And that's when it would actually go to flower. So yeah, that's a really interesting one. And you could do this with parsley or cilantro. But particularly with cilantro, the seed of the cilantro plant is coriander, the spice. So I always let my cilantro come back and go to seed and then um, let that seed dry on the plant. And I harvest that. And that's my coriander that I keep in my spice cabinet. Well, that's what I'm going to do now too. So a couple of weeks ago, you gave us some great tips on HGTV to the rescue, all about intro to vegetable gardening, veggie gardening 101. And we really wanted to bring you back to dive a little deeper into vegetable gardening, veggie gardening 201. I'm I'm ready to level up. So we're here right on the tail end of April. What should we be planning in our gardens right now? So it really differs depending on where you live. So the first thing I would say is to know your zone. So it differs depending on where you live. But you and I both live in East Tennessee, which is in zone seven. And um, some of the things that we can be planting now or that we may already have planted are some of the root crops like beets and carrots and radishes. Those are some of my favorite things to grow. And they're great for this like mid-spring time period. Also, um, broccoli and cabbage. Those are good things to get in the ground right now. Um, those are, are considered spring crops. In our climate, it gets, you know, it gets hot pretty fast. And so I find that it's best to plant those things 
maybe early April, even though a lot of the recommendations are late April, but I kind of get those things in a little bit earlier because they, um, it tends to just turn to summer really fast where we live. But I have those things in the ground. And then I also go ahead and start planting my tomatoes and peppers around the beginning of May. Um, Some recommendations are to like consider Mother's Day, like your time period to get those things in. I do that although sometimes I kind of cheat it and I get them in a little bit earlier. And then I'm willing to cover, you know, cover them if we're going to have like a super cold night. So um, those are the things that I have in um, now. Oh, also onions. Definitely um, onions are a great thing to plant. Um, this time of year. Yes, I will admit I broke down and bought tomato plants yesterday. And I know, I know I'm pushing it. But like you, like I'm willing to cover, I'm willing to cover six tomato plants. I mean, it's sometimes it's worth it for your, um, your own like emotional value. So this is a, a wild card question. But I just have to ask, like, how many tomato plants are you putting in the ground this year? Because I always I have a very small veggie patch. Like I don't try to grow as much food as you do. I'm just in awe. Like how many different tomato varieties are you putting in this year? Well, you know, I I don't have that fully determined, but I did start, I think I started maybe six varieties. And so I have probably six plants of each of those varieties, but I'm going to have to give some of those away to friends. So if you would like some, um, because there's, I just don't have that much space to grow 36 tomato plants. But I probably will, you know, grow 15 or 20, um, which is exciting and crazy at the same time. I mean, so exciting and so crazy. Right. I Um, honestly (laughs) didn't, you know, I've done seed starting before, but I haven't had as much success with it as I have this year because I've been at home, you know, working from home and I've been here and able to take care of them a lot better than I have in past times. And so I planted all this seed not truly expecting all of it to do as well as it has. But so now I have all of these, you know, 30 plus tomato plants. So we'll see. It's an embarrassment of riches, right? It is. It's true. So we've heard um, a little bit about your tomato plants, but what does your garden look like this year? You know, are you trying anything new? Yeah, I always try a few new plants every year. I don't have a massive garden, like I said. And so I try to just, you know, sprinkle in some new plants every year, just so I have experience growing them. And then I also try new varieties every year. I definitely have varieties of tomatoes and peppers that I love to grow, but I like to try new things. So for tomatoes this year, one that I'm really excited about is called Indigo Apple. And it's an heirloom tomato variety that is small fruited, like in between a cherry tomato and a larger tomato, but it has this really pretty purple and green coloring. So that's one I'm excited about. I'm also growing um, Turkish orange eggplant. And that's a little, it's a little tiny orange eggplant, very different from any other eggplant I've seen. Um, So I'm excited to grow that. It almost looks like a little mini pumpkin rather than an eggplant. And then let's see, Mexican sour gherkin is a cucumber that I'm trying. That's a little bitty tiny, um, like uh, they actually have a flavor a little bit more like watermelon. Oh, are those the ones they almost look like tiny watermelons? Yes, they look like tiny watermelons. And the vine is really rampant. Like it gets really, it goes all over the place, but it's actually really fine. Like it's a small fruit and the the vine itself is really like fine textured. So I'm kind of excited to grow that this year. I've never grown that before, but I've always seen it. I actually have seeds for those and I completely forgot. So maybe I should consider that. I don't know. I had some cucumbers like really lose the plot last year and like 
takeover. I'm just trying to do things. I'm trying to be very mindful of the space I have and not plant things that just go so crazy. I think that's a good call. And cucumbers and squash are definitely the ones that can get really crazy. Um, One thing that I have never grown before, and I'd actually never heard before until um, I got a seed catalog that had it in it, is something called garden huckleberry. And it is a plant related to tomatoes and peppers, but it has this little tiny fruit that if you let it go and then you cook with it, it's almost like you can use it like a blueberry. So I'm really excited to grow that. I mean, I've been trying to find, you know, information on it and there's not a ton of info on it. So it'll be kind of an experiment, but I like doing, you know, I like doing things like that and trying to figure it out. Well, that's one of my favorite things about you is that you will just try things. I mean, I know last year you grew hops just to see what that was like. Yeah, I I have hops and they have done so well, surprisingly well. I've been giving them away because they really do are giving like the actual, you know, plants away because you have to divide it every year. But I had a really good hops harvest last year. Um, I don't brew beer, but I gave it to someone and and he he brewed beer with it, which was really cool. Um, And I've grown things before like quinoa and amaranth and, you know, grains like that, that it's really just kind of fun to know how it grows. I mean, I didn't harvest a whole lot of quinoa, you know, it wasn't even enough to like make a salad. But now I know how quinoa grows. And that was, you know, that's for me, that's what's so fun about gardening is just, you know, kind of understanding where our food comes from, even to to that level. That's so fun. We'll make sure to put some pictures of Kelly's garden in the show notes because it's, it's just, I love the way you lay it out. It's just it's so beautiful. Thank you. So I know we're we're talking about leveling up your vegetable garden, but I don't want to to leave out our gardening newbies. So Kelly, if someone wanted to have a fail-proof garden, I know there's no such thing, of just a few resilient herbs and veggies, you know, what would those be? Um so yeah, like you said, there you know, failure will always happen, but um some things that are really easy. I do think garlic is one that I you know, it's such a staple in our kitchens, but we don't really think about growing it that much, but it is so easy to grow. So um, for most people, you plant it in the fall, it overwinters, and then you harvest it in the summer. And in between those times, you basically need to do nothing to it. So as long as you have a little bit of space, you can devote to it and just leave it alone. Garlic is a super easy thing to grow. And then it really it literally just multiplies because you can save the um, save your garlic cloves and replant them the following fall. So you never really have to buy garlic again. Thyme and rosemary. So some of the perennial herbs like thyme, rosemary, oregano, those are so easy to grow and they're so useful in the kitchen. So definitely, you know, would recommend those. And then I think everyone wants to grow tomatoes and I think everyone should grow tomatoes if you're, you want a little bit easier time of it. Um, I think cherry tomatoes are super easy to grow. It takes less time and less effort on the plant's part to produce a small fruit than it does a huge fruit. And so um, cherry tomatoes are really easy and really fun. And then I have to throw in there also to grow flowers alongside those plants. So marigolds are just a go-to. They have a lot of benefits for the vegetables in the garden. So if you had garlic, thyme, rosemary, cherry tomatoes, and some marigolds, you would have an excellent and very easy vegetable garden. 
Well, I'm feeling very proud of myself because that is literally what I'm doing. Good. Yay. <laughs> I bought six sun gold tomato plants because they just did so well last year. The kids love them. They love to pick them. And they, I mean, we had tomatoes until November. Yeah. yeah. I love sun gold. That is, I mean, I, they call it nature's candy and it really is true. And I really, I usually just eat them straight in the garden because they just, they're so delicious. There's nothing like a warm tomato. So nice. Yeah. So good. All right. So since we have, you know, a gardening expert on with us, um, Madeline, who's one of our podcast producers, had a a personal uh, dig it question for you. So she had a huge problem with squash borers last year. And she loves squash. She really wants to grow it. But she just wasn't confident on how to both prevent them and also how to treat them. And, And I was like, Oh, I personally know that Kelly has done battle with squash borers. So any advice for, you know, some natural pest remedies that are food safe? Um, I do have advice. So squash vine borers are uh, really common in the Southeast. And so I have battled them myself for many, many years. Unfortunately, there's really no way to get rid of them um, with a lot of... I do have organic pest control recommendations for other things. Neem oil is a great one. BT is a great one for caterpillar pests. But squash vine borers are just particularly bad and difficult to get rid of. Squash vine borers are... They overwinter in the soil. And they... um, Just to give you a little life cycle info, the adult comes back as this like wasp-like moth and it lays eggs on your plants. So it lays them at the base of the plants and then this, you know, really gross caterpillar bores out the stem of your squash plants. So you'll start seeing the damage starts kind of at the stem at the base level. And anyway, it looks gross and your plants start to die. The best thing I have found is to use row cover cloth over your squash early on so that it limits the ability for that moth to lay those eggs on the base of your plant. So row cover cloth is just this really thin, lightweight cloth that sunlight and water can get through, but that prevents pests from actually landing on your plants. So I covered my zucchini last year with row cover cloth up until the plant started flowering. When the plant started flowering, I had to start uncovering it so that pollinators could actually pollinate the plant to get some fruit in there. But I would go through the process of uncovering it during the day and then covering at night just to give the plant a little bit more opportunity to get pollinated and start producing fruit before the squash vine borers did their damage. And I got a ton of zucchini out of those plants for, you know, several weeks, maybe even a couple of months. They did eventually get squash vine borers, but it took a while. So I would recommend using that row cover cloth in early on in the season with your plants to prevent those pests from laying the eggs and getting to your, um, your squash and your zucchini. And then after that, the other thing is to succession plant. So, you know, don't just try to do one crop of squash plan on doing one early in the season and then, you know, expect that they may get, you know, taken down by squash vine borers, but then plant more and do it again. So that is the best uh, recommendation I can give Madeline because those, those are some serious pests and there really is nothing. There's no remedy for them other than like trying to work them with row cover cloth. Well, and I think that's really good advice too, to just to not think of gardening as something you do all at once. I think that 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 people think, oh, I put all my plants in, you know, late spring, early summer, and and that's it. So 
the advice to just plant some later in the season is is really good, especially here where our growing season is pretty long. It is pretty long. Yeah. I mean, we really can start planting summer things, you know, now the end of April, beginning of May, and we can continue planting them up through, you know, July so that we're harvesting in September. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us and for all of your expertise. I think we definitely are going to have to have you on the podcast again to talk more veggie gardening very soon. And if you guys want to see more of Kelly and see her answer just every vegetable gardening question you can think of, you can go to hgtv.com slash dig it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So I know today's episode has been very outdoor gardening specific, but we don't want to leave our houseplant loving audience out. So for a very special HGTV to the rescue, we have Stephen and Matthew from the Plant Daddy podcast. Welcome to HGTV Obsessed. Thank Thanks. you. Hello. So for those of us who haven't um, listened to your podcast yet, which you guys get on board, they are so entertaining. It's the perfect blend of information and entertaining. But tell us a little bit about the Plant Daddy podcast. Oh, well, thank you. That's really nice to hear. Uh, Stephen and I have been friends for over a decade by this point. And even though I have been growing plants basically since my childhood, like as soon as I got my first African violet cuttings, Stephen is fairly new to the hobby. And I like to think that I helped him get started and excited about plants. Yeah, you do like to say that, Matthew. Um, you have some credit in there, I'll say. Uh, yeah, so I've been into it for about five years, I would say now, Matthew for longer. We were friends for about a decade. And we found ourselves talking about plants kind of more and more intensely in mixed company, but really loving these conversations and, you know, wondering who else we might be able to connect with. So we started to put some of these conversations online. And at first we were thinking, yeah, let's just go deep on a plant, explain how we care for it. We still do that. But more and more, it's connecting to this great plant community, learning so much from them, you know, telling others about the great resources that helped us, you know, people in our mm -hmm. community giving us plants, giving us um, advice. Uh, and yeah, just uh, interacting with this great ecosystem, trying to give back, um, trying to connect people and learn ourselves, really. Yeah. And I'm sure that our friends are happy that we're no longer making game night or movie night all about what plants are blooming right now or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah. they're like, you guys need an outlet for this that is not us. Yeah, there I, was like an hour period in the beginning of a lot of these gatherings, right? We would just kind of slowly turn around the room, looking it, at new growth. <laughs> so people would just joke like, "Oh yeah, Stephen and Matthew are doing their thing. Let's not disturb them right now." It's been pretty funny though because we've really grown as plant parents since we started the show ourselves, and we're both growing so many different things that are outside of our own natural interests. And mm -hmm. the podcast has helped really increase the exposure that we have to plants that we never really would have gravitated towards otherwise. So yeah. I got to have the reputation and it's probably a bit true that I'm like the flowering and tropical foliage plants enthusiast. I do some rare stuff, but it's all like aeroids and orchids. And Stephen still loves his carnivorous plants, succulents, mm -hmm. a lot of really cool, rare oddities. But it's been really fun to branch out more into each other's worlds and experience more of what the houseplant world has to offer just in general. Mm -hmm. That's so fun. You're really um, able to like fuel your obsession even more. Oh, it's almost problems. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think I definitely, I think I definitely fall in like the, the tropicals, uh, side of things. Just looking behind you, I'm like, I've got orchids. I've got the elephant yeah. ear, monstera, you know, I, um, I tend to love succulents too much and overwater them. They're so collectible, right? I mean, you can fit so many on a table. Yeah. Great. I just water them too much every time. I just, ha- I, uh, I have no chill. They also need so much light. So much light. Mm-hmm. So, so as you guys know, this is our spring gardening episode and we've talked about flowers and herbs. We've talked about starting a vegetable garden, but for a lot of people, especially, I mean, you all living in a big city, houseplants are the only gardens they have. So right. what kind of spring cleaning do you guys do for your houseplants? So the first thing I adjust is just how much I water, right? So it's going to become brighter in your space, probably warmer. Your plants are going to wake up, get into active growth. They're going to start consuming more water. So I just monitor that, make sure they're not drying out too quickly, uh, make sure they have what they need. Um, it's also important to to pay attention to the light in your space. So, you know, a lot of us got into plants over quarantine, right? We're in our houses more. We're kind of decorating our spaces that we're spending so much time in. And you might find that the light is really different in this season. Maybe it's not blocked by a building anymore when the, when the sun was in a different position in the sky. Maybe, you know, afternoon light is now too intense for certain plants or things like that. So, just uh, pay attention throughout the day, maybe move some things around. Also, I fertilize. Active growth will make your plants more hungry. So yeah, make sure you're, you fertilize uh, many of them. You don't have to overthink this really. I think there's a lot of great fertilizers that you can get and put in there. So unless it's a super specialty plant, um, you can just get something like slow release, uh, like Osmocote pellets, things like that. Yeah. And I actually just went through my plant spring cleaning process myself. Uh, usually at the start of every season or just around then, I have a few routines that I go through to maintain my plants. And I have so many of them that this is like a very methodical, necessary <laughs> process, but it's, it might be overkill for many home houseplant enthusiasts. Yeah, there are hopefully some tidbits in here, right? So do, yeah. do 10% of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take this with a grain of salt. Um, in spring though, my routine usually just kind of consists of going through all of my plants in the various growing spaces that they're in. And then I'll just assess their health and condition. Basically, I'll clean up dead leaves. I'll see what might need other attention. And I love this time of year because you really start to see some of those dormant plants beginning to wake up. And there's always a lot of new growth, either just beginning or on the horizon. And that's the most fun thing Mm -hmm. about this time of year. Yeah. So this is also a really good time, though, though, to see if anything didn't really make it through the winter. Maybe it's not going to pull through. And in that case, you can just compost those plants to make room for new ones. But for all the healthy existing plants that uh, I am keeping into the next growing season, I will rotate them through the shower or sink. And I'll do this in large batches that I can just spray them down thoroughly with clean water to remove any dust from the foliage. And I take this opportunity to inspect really closely for pests. Sometimes you can find some pest problems occurred in the dry conditions of winter. So yeah, yeah like this is one of those things that I, I do this seasonally and then spot check throughout the year. But spring is a really good time to physically remove any that you might find i like to either spray them like just spray them off with water and for this i actually have a shower head with a wand attachment (laughs) on a hose that's really useful and then i'll also you know wipe them off with a soft cloth paintbrush or even just my fingers depending on what the plant and what the pests are any plants that do have pests 
uh, they're going to get treated with an insecticidal soap, neem oil, maybe a pesticide if it's uh, a bad enough infestation. But I always make sure that it's one that's safe for indoor use. So it's not going to harm my pets or, you know, me or my fiance. And I'm going to quarantine any plants that have been treated so that they're not going to spread pests to other plants that are still healthy. Now, this whole process allows me to also make sure that every plant is healthy and thoroughly watered so that as they start their active growing season, after a few months of lower watering frequency, they're going to be off to a good start and I can just keep up with that watering routine, like Stephen said. I'm also going to closely inspect them to see what kinds of pruning might be useful for the coming growing season. And I'll usually end up with tons of cuttings and I'll either propagate these or share them with friends. And then lastly, I use this as a really good time to repot things that are overgrown. They might be root bound, need some fresh substrate, or I might just want them in a different pot. So like, for instance, terracotta, it's really porous and it promotes rapid drying, but I might switch a plant mm -hmm. that was drying too rapidly for me to keep up on the watering into a more moisture retaining glazed clay, or even sometimes a plastic pot that'll just sit in a decorative cash pot. So I've also found that if anything stays too wet the last growing season, it's helpful to maybe shift them over to that breathable terracotta so that I don't have to worry about overwatering in the coming growing season. Repotting is a really good thing to do now because you're setting yourself up for a successful growing season in the coming warm months because you're not disturbing the active growth in the middle of the season if they suddenly need a repot, you know, three months on. Do you have any tips on how to repot your houseplants? You know, assuming you're not Martha Stewart, you don't have, you know, this lavish potting shed where you can spread out and not bring that dirt into your house. You know, any tips on doing that um, and containing the mess if you're having to do it in an apartment, for example? Ooh, good question. Um, I think you can do this in your sink if you can catch things from going into the drain, right? There's a lot of elements in soil that shouldn't go into the drain. I have a kind of a metal mesh that I could put over my drain for that. I've also used um, cardboard boxes, right? If you can do it in kind of a shallow box that's like a carrying crate, that's one trick. And then you can, you know... I love using the nursery yeah. flats for quick repots. That's such a good idea. Yeah. yeah. And then part of that too, right? If you repot just over one of these things and kind of do it carefully, like, you know, you can take a butter knife, sort of separate the roots from the side of the pot if they've um, started to adhere at all. And then if you just like, you can grab the plant by the stem, turn it over and then kind of pat it and shake it out. Sometimes it's a little bit less dramatic, right? Than if you're fully like dumping and you kind of do it in a more controlled motion that way. It's often easier on the plant itself too. You know, once you've done that, you know, you can unravel the roots a little bit. I don't do this a ton unless they're truly overgrown. I don't take any roots off often. Um, and then just put that, uh, you know, you can put that uh, plant into a larger pot, not something super large, um, just so it can still kind of consume all the water that you have in there and not be, uh, you know, too wet. But yeah, you know, hopefully that's not too, too messy. This is definitely something I deal with. And, uh, you know, I just have a lot of dustpans <laughs> as well. Yeah. And I find that using like, if I use a large steel mixing bowl, I can also help to contain mm -hmm. that. And um, I'll repot things kind of close to where they are or larger plants. I'll bring them to my garage so that I can like repot something, water it somewhere and then put it back in its position once it's drained. Yeah, that's great. It's all about all about containment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So obviously houseplants, they're called house plants, but a lot of them like to move outside when it's warm enough. You know, should mm -hmm. we should we be moving our plants outside? And and do you have any tips on making that transition less traumatic for the plants? 
Ooh, so I would say that really, really depends on your climate, right? So up here in Seattle, we can do that with a lot of common house plants. I think if you're in Phoenix or someplace really hot and dry with intense sun, you have to be a lot more careful. As far as that transition goes, gosh, I only put kind of my most rugged, I would say, house plants like ones that won't snap in a strong wind or, you know, uh, or ones that can take the sun where I am. If you're trying to transition, I would start kind of a few hours a day. I wouldn't put it out the full day in full sun um, and then see how it reacts. I mean, there will be a little bit of uh, discoloration maybe on leaves. You might lose a couple leaves. A lot of plants do adjust. So, if there is a little, you know, a period where it looks like it's a little bit rough, that might be okay. But, you know, for many of mine, I don't really do this. Uh, I just keep them indoors and I, I find that that is kind of just as good. Like the, you know, this, the light is more intense indoors as well, you know, during summer. So, I, I tend to kind of like that control a little bit better. Uh, Matthew is different in this department. He has a lot of, uh, you know, ornamental like fruiting things and flowering things that, that, you know, do really benefit from that. Yeah. What is your routine, Matthew? Yeah. For a lot of these plants, I actually... I really love rotating some of my houseplants outdoors for the summer and many of the flowering like tropical and subtropical plants like hibiscus or plumeria that I grow, I just treat them actually as outdoor plants that come inside for the winter. Now that transition back to the sun, uh, you know, when, when we finally have the nice enough weather and warm uh, nighttime temperatures that won't harm the plant, I'll put them in, in a completely shaded spot for about a week. And then I'll move them under like something that gets some morning or late afternoon sun for another week or so. And, you know, just gradually increase the light yeah. exposure so that I don't suddenly have like all the leaves burned up and crispy. That's a really common problem. But just like Stephen said, plants usually bounce back from this pretty quickly. So if it does happen, don't stress it too much. Now, most of my succulents actually live outdoors over the summer because these are plants that are going to just thrive in full sun and hot climates. We don't have anything that's going to harm them in the Seattle area. So if you do live in a hot zone, you might have a little bit different of experience. But these always do best for me when I put them outdoors rather than struggling to provide adequate light for them to you know, produce their best growth and flowering indoors. So I don't put a lot of my tropical foliage plants outside, but if you have a really nice space that you want to see some of that kind of seasonal vibe, you need to make sure it's not going to be too hot or too sunny for them, first of all. But it's really fun to do this, and a covered balcony or porch is perfect for many of these plants. And a lot of them even do really, really well having that swing between warm days and mm -hmm. cooler nights. Yeah. You often see really, really nice growth. Yeah, they can prompt flowering, things like that. Yeah. I also really enjoy, though, that by moving plants outside, I get to benefit from those beneficial predatory insects that often are going to prey on any pests that might be on an indoor plant. Pests are a bit of a theme for Matthew lately, so... Well, when you have 400 plants, it's very important to keep on top yeah. of it. 400! You know, I, rough number, I've lost count. But <laughs> when you have your plants outside, you are also potentially introducing them to new pests yeah. that you don't have indoors. For me, I usually find that that's like slugs, snails. I don't get aphids indoors, but I do outside. And caterpillars. So... Keep up with your pest monitoring when your plants are outside, especially to avoid bringing anything back indoors in the fall. Yeah. See, to me, there's really pros and cons to, you know, moving them outdoors and then back. Yes, for sure. But there's no better way to grow some of those exotic plants like bird of paradise or hibiscus or plumeria mm -hmm. than being able to offer them like a really good full sun summer to get the best blooms and flowers that you want to see. It's true. It's like hot plant summer. Yeah. 
So I have to ask now, I mean, Matthew, you just said you have 400 plants, so maybe, maybe you don't have anything on your wish list, but... That's how I have 400 plants. There's right. always a wish list. He shouldn't. Voice of reason here. After the after we finish recording, we're going to have like a, a brief intervention for, for Matthew's yeah. plant. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I support you. I just want to see you. all of them. But um, do you guys have anything on your plant shopping list this spring? Any new plant babies headed into your homes? Yeah. You know, I think the virtue and the issue, right, with houseplants is that, you know, it's kind of uh, any season's okay. We have temperature controls, right? Uh, A lot of us use grow lights. Uh, I would say lately for me, though, um, very into Hoyas. I think so many of us are. I'm always looking for interesting Hoyas. Uh, Also, carnivorous plants is kind of a passion of mine always. There's always uh, interesting species uh, to look for and get, you know, and grow from seed and things like that, that you can do indoors. The only thing I would say there that is something to think about for houseplants is that when you are ordering something in winter, you might worry about something being shipped in the cold, right? So now that it's warming up, um, I'm less worried about that. I am more willing to buy something that might be shipped from Florida, right? Like across the US and maybe, mm-hmm. you know, going through like the cold Rockies or something through shipping that might damage it. Uh, so that's opened up a little bit. But otherwise, uh, you know, it's kind of it's a uh, same old, a uh, lot, lot of things you can always buy and that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. For for me, now that we're finally in warm enough temperatures that I'm not worried about anything being damaged in shipping, the top of my list this spring are some really beautiful dwarf tropical water lilies that I want to be growing in like little water garden bowls. I'm I've wanted to do this for years, so like this is the year for it. Matthew, I actually have experience with that. I don't think we've ever talked about this. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, we go, okay after tune the show, into our right? show later because <laughs> okay. apparently we're going to talk about this. <laughs> this is how the show goes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yep. I was about yeah. to say, sounds like a future Plant Daddy episode mm-hmm. all about growing aquatic plants indoors. That's, you I mean, heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. We'll see yeah. how it goes. I like well, it. Well, I'm also on a huge Hoya kick. So I'm sure to be adding some new ones to my collection soon. And I moved at the end of last summer and I have such better light in this new space that I am going to really indulge a little more into some of these succulents and cacti and really high light level plants that I previously held off on because I just didn't have the conditions before that would keep them happy. Yeah. It sounds like you guys just have like an ever evolving list going. I will admit I have like 12 houseplants, which I, mm-hmm. you know, feels very restrained at this point. <laughs> that's manageable. That's yeah. healthy. Yeah. The right number. <laughs> Yeah. But I live on four acres. Like I am an outdoor gardener big Mm -hmm. time. We have a really long growing season here in Tennessee. Um, So I'm always so interested to hear about people's houseplant passions. Well, I can tell that we could literally talk for hours about this. I really want to thank (laughs) Stephen and Matthew from the Plant Daddy podcast for joining us today. Do not forget to follow the Plant Daddy podcast for more great houseplant tips and tricks, including their upcoming aquatic plant episode. Oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) Um, Where can everybody find you guys on social media? Well, the social that we are most active on is Instagram because plants are so beautiful and we love being able to showcase them in such a visual format because podcasts don't really offer that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So is that Plant Daddy podcast? On Instagram? Yep, just at Plant Daddy Podcast. And then our episodes come out every Monday 
And it's just available anywhere that uh, podcasts are enjoyed pretty much. Yep. Your favorite podcast app, um, also plantdeadypodcast.com. We have some show notes there and answer some questions sometimes there too. I love it. Well, I hope you guys will come back for a longer chat. Maybe sometime this summer we can check in and see how... We love that. Yeah. I would love that too. Thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Oh my goodness. I hope you guys enjoyed this jam-packed episode today and feel ready to take on this spring season. My to-do list is, as usual, a mile long. I want to give a huge thank you to Kelly Edwards, Kelly Smith Trimble, and the Plant Daddies for their insightful tips and tricks. If you want to ask HGTV stars and experts your own question, hit us up on the HGTV Instagram account. Just look for our post on Thursdays. And as usual, if you love today's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review HGTV Obsessed. I need five stars, guys. I need five stars. I need positive words of affirmation. That's my love language. Don't forget to follow HGTV Obsessed wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. And head over to HGTV.com slash podcast for the show notes on today's episode. We'll see you next Thursday. 